This first segment of this episode of Critical Weave Theory will have a quick reference to a scandal involving pedophilia. Other than that, please make sure to check out our guest, the Black Manga Critic. Have fun. Definitely. Well, I mean, there there are definitely like some superheroes who are like, well, I fought like a corrupt CEO in in a mech suit. <laughs> I'm imagining like like some fucking anime with like Jeff Bezos and like a mech and like a superhero, and he's just like, you're gonna let those, you're gonna let I those Alabama, Jeff. you're gonna let that Alabama warehouse unionize Bezos. <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna taste my fist of 100 strikes. <laughs> You fool! <laughs> and he has like a robotic voice, like. <laughs> and then, and then so we meet again. Then, <laughs> then after that, uh, there was no. There, and then everything was fine because Jeff Bezos was. Um, yeah, we got rid of Jeff Bezos, and and like Amazon is fine now. <laughs> <In Mello. laughs> we killed the CEO of Ecological Collapse. Hello, uh, this week we have uh, EMC, or as uh, he is sometimes also known, his alias, or perhaps on abbreviation, the Black Manga Critic. Where does the T go? No one knows. Uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself and talk about what you do. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. I, I, I also do, I, I have no idea where the T goes. Like, um, uh... I have nobody remark for that, so I'm just gonna introduce myself. Well, to be fair, BMC does sound better than TBMC. <laughs> yeah, TBMC sounds like some like '90s like programming or something like that, yeah. right? Like, yeah, uh, like, like on Fridays. Yes, um, which were dope. Which are dope. Uh, but that's yeah. a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, I am the Black Manga critic, um, but most most people call me BMC, um, and. I am a manga YouTuber, um, and I started off just kind of like re. I started off doing like videos where I just kind of talk about my ideas for, um, you know, about manga, the manga that I was reading, and then I shifted to reactions um, for like mainly Shonen Jump manga, and then I was like, I don't want to only do, I don't only want to do Shonen Jump manga. I want to do like other manga that I'm interested in that other people may not be re- that other people might be reading but people aren't really mm-hmm. doing like reactions for so then i started reading like um kingdom um and um then i started getting into like um some shoujo titles like yon of the dawn and um i uh, started reading that and really loving that and then i started reading uh titles like battle angel alita um and then i really loved those titles and i just kind of like gravitated towards that stuff and and sort of started moving away from the shonen jump stuff um and i only started and i only reacted to like a few things from shonen jump and then i was just like and then shonen jump started like just you know doing like like and like the the, the pedophiles just started you know popping up Uh again and again and again and i was like you know what let me just kind of divest myself from uh from that from the weekly shonen jump manga so just Um, uh, slowing down a little bit go ahead um, just like for for clarification's sake, you're talking about like several different people involved in like manga creation and production being yeah, outed as yeah, actual pedophiles. Yeah, yeah, um, specifically at was, um. Sorry, go ahead. Notori- notoriously, it was the Raruni Kenshin guy 
who like yeah. has criminal charges against him and people still like wished him happy birth or happy anniversary right mm-hmm. yep yeah and there were yep. certain um certain mangaka who were like you know hey these he's my he's my friend you know we want the best for him we have we haven't said anything we like we haven't said anything about you know the <laughs> the 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 pedophilia and like you know the like just like i don't know te- terror terabytes whatever of like you know um uh trigger warning um uh you know ch- child you know pornography so like that was a lot and you know you can still see it now so i just kind of you know divested from that and just kind of stuck with like other titles that i really enjoyed so once i figured out that i just kind of wanted to you know do anything other than weekly shonen jump like i kind of felt a lot better in in some ways um and i just kind of felt more free to just like read what i want to read so that's kind of mainly what i do and i also started doing like video essays which are like you know just kind of like if i have an idea or or a manga that i'm reading and i just you know wanted to talk about something that i thought was neat then i might just you know write up something and then try to turn it into somewhat of a script and like and try to make it not sound like an academic paper because that's kind of like my background. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing now. And then I just kind of shifted to, I don't know, like, you know, Twitter and other different things and, you know, doing a lot of like political education and stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at now, I guess. Video essays, reactions, political education, (laughs) yeah. Real quick, you're the manga critic. What is your favorite manga right now? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I think you know. Uh, I, I I would say um, my favorite manga that I'm reading at the moment. I mean, there are a few, but um, I it, it's if I had to pick one, it'd probably be uh, probably like that I'm reading right now, Witch Hat, Witch Hat Atelier, Atelier. I don't yeah. know how to pronounce that, but um, but that's probably my favorite right now because it's just like. Uh, it's it's like a it's just a really wholesome uh, manga um, mm-hmm. that's just like you know fantasy based and it's about magic and you know there's these like um, I mean I'm not gonna get too much into it but it's just like it's it's really wholesome but it's like deceptively like I don't, maybe not deep but just like it's nuanced it's deceptively nuanced like it's like or like low key nuanced I guess if if, if you wanted to say it that way um, where there's actually a lot of stuff sort of going on there. Um, uh, that um come on me um Shidahama does which is like talking about education and like you know uh, discrimination and um uh yeah it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty good it's pretty good so I, it's something that I it's a manga that I highly suggest um yeah 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 sounds cool I have it on my reading list. Uh, and very soon it will come off my reading list and into my brain pound. But <laughs> while it would be very interesting to have a long and deep and nuanced conversation about which hat Altair uh, up Atelier, um, Atelier? I, I, yeah, I mean it's it's. It I, I always say Atelier. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. How, I, I'm like terrible with like. Hey, Mo. Uh, <laughs> oh, Mo. oh, it's a, a French word I can help with. Yeah. How's it spelled? A T L A T E L I E A. I believe so. Yeah. 
I, I, I okay. A T E L I E R, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Atelier. Oh, atelier. Yeah, oh. Atelier. Ooh, all right. I've been saying I've been butchering oh, that. No. I apologize. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Don't apologize okay. in the French. It's like, hello, my name is BMC. I uh, butcher the word um, atelier, and I watch Emily in Paris. Um. <laughs> <laughs> my Discord briefly crashed, and that was the best thing to come back to. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I, and I didn't hear this. French disrespect or French undisrespect. Uh, whichever <laughs> happens, I am uh, uh, not complicit. Please ignore the fact that I will be editing this audio and thus will definitely be aware of whatever was said. Alright. <laughs> Back to where we were. As much as uh, we would like to have a uh, long and nuanced conversation about which hat, just as important is... See? I avoided saying word. Uh, just as important is having an nuanced conversation about shonen manga um for one there's obviously the pedophilia thing which you mentioned which is deeply problematic but another thing we've definitely had very interesting conversations about is this idea of heroics and heroism so i don't know if you have a specific place you want to start that conversation but definitely one of the things i'm thinking of is like how much of shonen manga is based on hero narratives and what that could potentially mean for anyone who's or for what that says about like enacting change hmm uh well very quickly i just gotta say i gotta go grab my <laughs> laptop charger because i don't want to conk out of uh, See, this. we're reaffirming Kira narratives here with the laptop charger being the only <laughs> thing that can save this podcast. <laughs> we will. <laughs> I'll be, I'll Let's be see, right just back. Go just, hold on. just go with Give it. Just go with it. See, that's, that's going to stay on. <laughs> <laughs> so where we were at is, I guess we should start with like a uh, uh, formal definition so that we're all on the same page as to what we're talking about. So what is a hero narrative? Hmm. Um, oh, Mo, did you want to... Oh. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you are the guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, so I you guess... You are the guest, so why don't you uh, be my guest? <laughs> Frago, please. <laughs> yeah, but... That's also you, staying again. That's also staying again. Yes, I would yes, suggest yes. Um, you can give your own conception, and I've written about these to some extent, so I can give. Um, you would not a counter definition, but a parallel one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's let's funny. Calm down. Yeah, I, you're a Novi. Uh, I, I love fun, so I'm not. I, All I'm, right. I'm good. I'm chilling. This ended up. This is going to end up being the pun episode. I'm calling it here. But before this becomes the pun episode, uh, let's start with BMC's uh, definition, and then if Mo and I have uh, complementing or contrasting definitions, we will offer our own, like we did last time. By the way, did you like our last episode? Say yes, you assholes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yay. All right. Um, so. I guess like. 
uh, hero narrative, um, and there are like different ones, right? Like there are different um, iterations of the hero. Um, I think they're like the Baronic hero, uh, the epic hero, all these different like heroes. But I think the sort of through line is always just um, there are, let's say, some sort of issues or problematics or whatever you want to call them, and the 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 hero is sort of like the figure or the character or whomever that is supposed to kind of resolve those problematics or those issues um and you know depending on the the narrative and the kind of hero um you know that those issues will be like resolved um in you know distinct ways you know if it's like a superhero narrative they're going to use their superpowers um, uh, or they won't, you know, as some sort of like weird, like, you know, uh, whoa, subversive, like, you know, thing, or like, um, mm-hmm. if it's like an epic hero, then maybe they have abilities that are sort of like superhuman, maybe they don't. Um, but there's like some journey or there's some like war, or there's something that like is really monumental that, um, they have to sort of be at the center of in, um, in terms of the resolution. So that's kind of how I would define it. Uh, but I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with it right now. No, that's a that's a really solid um, definition that we can work on. Um, if I were yeah. to not um, contradict in any way, but just kind of uh, teeth more out of it, I would probably first say... Um, so hero narratives, um, they, they've got a couple of like important traits to them. And the first one is that they're kind of, like, antithetical to, like, um, I guess, like, collective narratives, right? Mm. In a hero yeah. narrative, there is usually either one person um, or a group of people who are responsible for um, enacting, like, sweeping changes on the world that we live in. So if we have, like, an epic hero's journey, there's always, like, the one person who goes into the underworld and comes back and fights the bad guy. And then that that single person is the reason why the entire world is, like, liberated from good or evil. Or, you know, if we have superhero stories, then, like, you either have, a like, one person or a small group of people. They beat the bad guy. They save the day. They get the girl. You know. Um, that sort of thing. Um, okay. Um, the, the, second, the second thing is that the hero... But the second thing is that the hero (laughs) is, um, like, revered by society at large. So, um, the only exception to this is, like, anti-heroes, where, like, um, society, like, doesn't really like them, or they're an outcast, but they still have, like, heroic qualities anyway. But, like, we're we're not really talking about anti-heroes, we're talking about, like, traditional heroes. Um, so, uh, the thing that makes them a hero isn't just that they're, like, some government bureaucrat like saving people um they're a public and well-known figure that people look up to um for inspiration and the third part um, relating to those first two um is morality um the oftentimes the morality of the hero sort of serves as a stand-in for like um the morality that society ought to uphold right Mm, um i'm thinking a lot about like 
uh, My Hero Academia, for example, in which um, all of the heroes in that story have like some very clearly defined lines of like what a hero should be and what a hero should not be and like what good is and what evil is and how those heroes like like all might and the and the others like protect a sense of good in the world that they're living in. okay those were the three um uh sort of not this i don't want to say individualism but like a rejection of collectivism um like societal reverence um and like a moral core is are the three things that make up hero stories here we go yeah. mm. um my addendum to this idea of the way we talk about heroes is I think there are two key flavors of hero narratives. One of these hero narratives is like we see in shows like Kogios, which is savior story hero narratives. Mm -hmm. It is someone comes in and they have the power to fix the problem. Um, And until now, no one could fix the problem. But now this guy's here and he has fixed (laughs) the problem. Hooray! Uh, and the idea, of course, being that, you know, we, we need to find that guy or, you know, elect that president or do whatever, right? But the big follow-up to that is I think there's another type of story that is aspirational where you are supposed to see yourself in the hero. And you are supposed to be like, oh, this is someone I should become like. And these, uh, for example, I think, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say something like uh, My Hero Academia or as uh, the cool kids call it, Boku no Hero Academy um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not, but I'm sorry uh, but anyway like they do in Boku no Hero Academy I think a lot of the readers are supposed to see themselves in Deku and thus his traits are supposed to be seen as like in a sense I don't want to say like well I do want to say moral lesson but I want to emphasize that it's not a moral lesson in the same way like the Panchatantra is a moral lesson. It's not like stories or like classic, I don't mean in the sense of like classic morality fables where at the end of it there's like then it turned out that doing this was good but rather that in framing a character as positive and framing certain traits that character has as positive what the story is saying is these qualities are positive you should be like this person and i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that um my hero academia like more implicit than explicit more implicitly than explicitly like reinforces the idea that you know it's intended demographic of like young kids should be like deku and whether or not it's a good thing is a question we can ha- is a conversation we can have separately, but the fact that that idea is there in the first place that's another thing I think should be critical in our analysis of hero narratives. Not only like the mechanics of it, but what what traits do hero narratives say is good to embody? Yeah, and like, and and you know, just kind of like you know, shouting out. Uh, Molo's article on uh, on my hero, which is which is like awesome. I and I, I like distinctly remember I, and like that that article was like, you know, like kind of like the way that I found Mo and like and and his work and everything. And I was like, oh, oh this guy's got it. All right, all right. Um, and and so much. 
No, I mean it's dope. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if y'all haven't checked it out yet, um, please do. Um, and and mm-hmm. and I remember one. There's one uh part of that that I think was really sort of like spot on, especially if you know you're um if you're you know someone who is you know sort of like engaging in like a a radical sort of like political education um you know with folks um on your own whichever and like there's that combo that um you know all might has with uh what's his name sugar um shigaraki right mm-hmm. and there and and you talk about sort of like how you know there's a way in which that's framed where shigaraki's sort of like you know He's like, and and in that in that instance, he's like, he's really like spitting facts, right? He's like, yo, like, oh my, you're a cop, like, you just like <laughs> dole out violence because you know the government like says you can, and folks like support that, and you know, and you're a hero because of that, and like, you know, screw you, right? And it's like, why can't we like, you know, um, be violent in like certain ways, in the ways that we sort of see fit, um, you know, as people or whatever, and then like, all might's like, um, oh, you know. You, you know, you, you, you folks like, you villains like to like spout, you know, like nobility and blah, blah, blah. But you just like being violent and like, you're just like a sicko, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and like the narrative sort of like is supposed to, right? Like, like you sort of talk about like the narrative is supposed to sort of, you know, present um, Shigaraki as like this, like, sort of like um, white, uh, white um, white guy a white kid anarchist who is like doesn't really know what they're talking about and just like wants to like blow everything up and like and it, and like the narrative sort of does talk say that right like like yeah Shigaraki just kind of wants to like destroy everything but like Shigaraki's not wrong and like taking the like All Might is like a cop who's like you know a, a hero cop who's like doling out violence and like you know what I mean like it's and and <laughs> well, I think so it's like, Hiroaki is just like general refusal to understand that like people who don't like the status quo have like um complex and like logical frameworks for how they understand it like when when they see someone who commits a crime they they just sort of think it's because they have a crime gene okay hiroaka doesn't do i okay we're gonna talk more about hiroaka later but like it's kind (laughs) of like you're like essentially evil and you commit crimes because you find it fun to hurt other people and so if you're saying things that sort of seem to make a little sense they're not allowed to actually make too much sense because um the people who commit crimes um don't believe in anything other than committing crimes for fun right and as such it's like in in hiraka it's like the point of the heroes to to stop people like that um and to uh and uh to protect the good and innocent people from the people who commit crimes for fun right whereas in reality um most crimes are committed for either like economic reasons or for like political reasons right yeah like Mm -hmm. you're committing a crime as a distinct act of defiance against a system that is cruel to you or you're committing an act of violence because um, your circumstances have forced you into that position. Um, which is uh, important to note in situations like this that the most common form of theft is wage theft. And that right. never gets punished. Mm. Uh, well, n- not not strictly never, but like almost never gets punished. 
And so, when or just like we, a more, um, a more uh, pointed description is that um, wage theft is a lo- much much greater problem in terms of monetary value lost than any other type of theft, like several types of theft combined. But we spend much more. Um, the state spends much more resources on countering all these other forms of crime than it does on wage theft. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is another step that we need to look into as a part of our hero narrative. If we're talking about heroes as a tool which enforces justice, which is not the only way to talk about heroes, as we'll get into later in this on, in this segment itself, but if we're talking about heroes as a tool of enforcing justice, we also need to talk about which crimes or Perhaps it's even more accurate to say which sort of deviations for the, from the norm are deemed worthy of punishment and which ones are sort of like glossed over. Because we never see, for example, in, in uh, My Hero Academia of like the heroes going to the, the CEO who's extorting his employees and they're like, hey, you got to pay your employees a living wage. Hiya, because you can't really punch that. <laughs> and... I feel like a lot of sort of, not all of them, because as uh, people, Amr especially, I, obviously she's not here, but like a lot of, there are books, there are some stories that do talk about these things that I don't want to like essentialize and say that none of them do, but a majority of them aren't really interested in talking about problems that can't be punched in the face. Right. Yeah. Like systemic racism can't be punched in the face unless you put a face on it, at which point you've sort of devalued what systemic racism is and how it works. Hey, I mean, the Misfit at Demon King Academy tried, so. <laughs> <laughs> Props to Misfit for trying to punch racism. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> my god. But is that not, like, the problem with the way. Like, this is a great thing. Let's actually take a um, BMC. Have you seen Misfit at Demon Academy? Sorry, can you uh, say that again? Have you seen uh, the Misfit at Demon Academy? I haven't. I haven't. But it sounds oh, like okay. I'd probably enjoy it. Maybe I don't know. No, nah, it's trash. Oh, it's trash. It's really bad. Um. I just wanted to briefly comment because the Misfit at Demon Academy is a great example of a savior-based hero narrative in which our main guy, Anos, walks in and he's like, systemic racism, solve that. Classism, solve that. (laughs) Endless hatred and racism between humans and demons, done. Potential genocide, wrong. It's like, the the story basically revolves around, essentially there's like this dude, and it's like, as long as all the characters believe um, in his uh, superiority over all things, then they get whatever they want, right? So there's like a... This is just Code Geass. Okay, okay, listen, listen. (laughs) I know there are... Oh no, I'm going to make a joke that no one's going to understand, but like... Kogias is the three coloring of anime, right? <laughs> In which all bad anime can be polynomially reduced to Kogias. 
that's that's the taken and sicking by. I'm sure at least some people will appreciate it. But anyway, yeah, keep talking. Um, what was I saying? Um, but yeah, like um, uh, Anos, he sort of like the whole point of the story is basically like, um, as long as you believe in him, then you get the thing you want. So there are like sort of facsimiles for like leftist groups or like anti-racist groups in the story. Um, but they don't really do anything other than admit that the main character is super cool and um, hot and stuff. And because of that, he just solves the racism for them by um, killing the person who mates. There's like a dude, he's like beaming the guy hatred made into up the, the yeah. first racism. Yeah, there's like a dude who, who's like responsible for all the racism and he like he like <laughs> dies. It's uh, <laughs> it's exhausting, <laughs> but it's very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just I I wanted to bring out Misfit at Demon Academy. I didn't just think of that on the spot. I was planning ahead. We'll pretend that's the case. Um, I wanted to bring that up because it relates to one of the articles you shared, uh, BMC, which was uh, the When the Hero is the Problem by Rebecca Solnit. Um, mm, I think that's yeah. how it's pronounced. But definitely, mm-hmm. like, Mr. Academy like is definitely a big manifestation of the themes of that article of how uh, heroes often, because, like, democratic councils or, like, challenging your own biases are, quote-unquote, unsexy, uh, the tendency of media to do the more, quote-unquote, interesting quote-unquote action-oriented topic tends to like have these sort of things where like we've reduced systemic racism to a figurehead and then we punched it um if you want to talk a bit more about that article because i thought it was really good and we'll be putting it in the description yeah yeah definitely um i'm actually gonna pull it up real quick it's on uh, one of my tabs um i think one thing that's really great about it is just you know there because there was just so many uh sort of just examples um that a soulmate sort of gives and the way that it starts is just really um like it's just rhetorically like great right like you know how 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 are you going to sort of talk about how you how do you start an article where you're talking about um the problematic that is the um sort of political hero narrative or like just like the general sort of like hero narrative um in our sort of realities well you talk about um an actual sort of uh, environmental issue um, that happened in uh, that was sort of going on in a farming valley um, on the Loxa River in northern Iceland um, in August 25th, 1970, right? And um, Solnit sort of starts by talking about how uh, community members um, quote, blew up a dam to protect farmland from being flooded and after the dam was dynamited, more than 100 farmers claimed credit or responsibility there were no arrests and there was no dam and there were some very positive consequences, including protection of the immediate region and new Icelandic environmental regulations and awareness. Um, right? And then Solna goes on to say that it's almost the only story I know of environmental sabotage having a significant impact. Um, I, I would say, I mean, that's like, I mean, she's saying that's all she knows, but I mean, I mean, clearly there's like other, other examples, but um, it um, in other instances, but, and she says it may be because it expressed the will of the many, not the few, right? And, and what she's kind of alluding to was like, 
um, she may not be more aware of other instances because of the ways in which those instances have been, um, uh, that information has been disseminated, right? So, like, mm-hmm. right. we're going to hear about Greta, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we're, and we're going to hear about Greta until she dies, right? Like, yeah. we just we just will. Um, and, and it's like, oh, okay, like, I, like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at, like, um, um, yeah, it's not about Greta girl, specifically, right? Yeah. It's not about Greta. Um, it's just like the way in which those narratives are created and um, uh, those stories are spread, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. and and the the consequent and the negative consequences of such. Yeah. So exactly. Um, I think the point I want to make in the article they talk about a movie that was based off of what the ecological terrorism was. But in the movie that was based off of that, they reduce it to a hero narrative. They take it from a bunch of farmers who collectively agreed to blow up a dam to one person who blew up a dam under, <laughs> like, pressure from a helicopter because they thought that was more interesting. <laughs> and the point I want to draw attention to is that I think reducing these complex systemic issues to hero narratives is not only inaccurate it's very counter it's and it's not only counterproductive it's actively dangerous i i put up this tweet uh, a while ago and i stand by it of like we've moved from individualistic solutions for systemic issues to individual solving systemic issues and that's not really better instead right. of like going oh here is a way in which you can like get together with your community to decide how to like you know, best make sure that your environment gets better, it turns into here, you should just go like do something on your own, like grab a big fuck off whatever <laughs> and go like blow up a dam without consulting anyone. And that's like not just <laughs> unproductive, that's harmful. And more importantly, it's unrealistic. You go to someone and you say, hey, do you think you could like save the environment on your own do you think you could blow up a dam on your own they're going to be like oh absolutely not there's no way mm-hmm. and in a way reducing what was uh, how many was it hundreds thousands of farmers mm-hmm. yeah like hundreds Hun- yeah hundreds of farmers reducing what hundreds of farmers did to a single person turns it from something you can do with a bunch of other people in your community to something that is just impossible because people are going to look at that and they're going to be like, I can't be that. I can't do that. When in the reality, no one can do that. That's not, no hero is going to come in and solve ecological collapse. I mean, I guess if someone was like, destroyed everyone who ever created an NFT, maybe we'd make it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll, we'll solve global, global warming that way. No, we oh. won't stop global warming. We'll keep global warming from getting worse than it already is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I cannot stress this enough. The whole we need to solve global warming by twenty thirty thing was before people started making NFTs. <laughs> so we're just like <laughs> Um But but on the I, I wanted to Existential threat of ecological collapse aside, um I wanted to emphasize um like one of the the dangers i think of hero narratives and i i don't think there's like no place in the world for a hero narrative but rather mm. uh, one of the the dangers is that um you can have situations um like this um uh, story in iceland 
where um, the the when you look at the actual events that took place, the lesson here is if you band together with your community, you can affect a lot of change, right? Um, but if you reduce that to a hero narrative, it, it sort of obfuscates like the opportunity for radicalism, right? So like yeah. it's not. Um, like 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 you just said, Rogue, it's like not realistic or safe or advisable to go on your own and like blow up a dam, right? And so if like if so if the lesson that people get out of it is that oh one person blew up a dam and then it happened to work out, um, then nobody is ever then nobody who hears that story is going to be tempted to attempt something else, right? But if the story is we got together with a bunch of people and we did a thing that we knew we had to do. Um, suddenly that seems more realistic. Suddenly people say, hmm, I can get together with other people. I can, I can join an organization. Uh, I, can, I can lobby for things. I can write things. I can, I can organize things. Um, so like, there's, a, there's like an inherent de-radicalization, I think, going on um, uh, at the core of a lot of hero stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, should to go back to Misfit real quickly, like when the solution to racism is we need the guy to punch John D. racism in the face. Of course people are going to be like, well, I guess there's nothing we can do about systemic racism. <laughs> but of course there are things you can do about systemic racism. It's just that those are not presented as readily, and so people have more difficulties conceptualizing them. And that's not me trying to talk down to people. Just that what media makes more or less prevalent is influences what people think is more or less pop pop prop more or less possible there we go there we go you right. made it <laughs> so yeah we wanna um, no sorry oh, sorry go ahead because I, I was about to move us on but if you had something on this you should go no no um i was kind of gonna say like yeah, just like I think, especially especially Battle Shonen, uh, Battle Shonen tend to have a very. It's odd. There's there's a like a very loud, sort of like, um, sort of faux uh, radical, kind of. Um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Tradition. Like mess it like. Not even tradition, but just like there's usually some, like some sort of way in which like the like the hero, right? The hero is usually the person, um, the person in a battle shown that's like, you know, um, screw this, you know, regime or monarchy or whatever it is, but that's like you know messing things up, um, or making or like whatever the like um, political problematic is, and there and and it's it's sort of like faux radical because it's like oh we should just we gotta rise up against them or whatever, but it's like. But, 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 you know, but then there's that contradiction where it's like, you know, like, and I think like, where like, that's where people kind of get mixed up, right? Where they, um, conflate that sort of faux radical kind of, uh, yeah, let's like, you know, attack the regime and let's like dismantle the regime and I'm going to be the one to do it because I'm this one person and I have all the power. Mm-hmm. Um, and they conflate that with like this, like with our own reality of like, yeah. you know, like, Right where it's like that's not how this works. That's not like how like this idea um, a collective like like, co- like a collective like radical politics yeah. is going to be um, is implemented yeah. or it continues to be implemented. Right. 
see this idea of like oh the true heir of like this is the person who should really be in charge and if this person who should really have been in charge was in fact in charge everything would be fine of like no that's not it's not so simple it's not it's not so simple as like oh we if we had biden instead of trump it would be fine i mean like just look at the world around you but it's not even as simple as if we had bernie instead of trump or instead Uh of biden everything would be fine it's not even that simple yeah right like it's it's the problems are a lot deeper than the wrong person in the is in charge and thus need to be addressed more precisely and more critically than the wrong person is in charge i think the truth is it's like there just needs to be like an acknowledgement that we're like we're fighting systems we're fighting social relations we're fighting culture um and like the hero narrative is not really i i i think at least a takeaway from me if you want it i I won't speak for um, the other two people here but a takeaway from me is that like the hero narrative is not like inherently like problematic or bad or anything but rather it's super often like misapplied right you Mm. can't do like societal change with the hero narrative it's like weird right because like you're because we're like you're like fighting like systems right and like Mm -hmm. the hero narrative is inherently like you beat up a person to save another person and that person (laughs) looks up to you right mm-hmm. like like um hero narratives can definitely well i mean there there are definitely like some superheroes who are like well i fought like a corrupt ceo in in a mech suit <laughs> 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 i'm imagining like like some fucking anime with like jeff bezos and like a mech and like a superhero and he's just like you're gonna let those you're gonna let I those alabama jeff. you're gonna let that alabama warehouse unionize bezos <laughs> otherwise you're gonna taste my fist of 100 strikes <laughs> you fool <laughs> and he has like a robotic voice like <laughs> and then, and then so we meet then- again <laughs> And after that, uh, there was no. There, and then everything was fine because Jeff Bezos was. Um, yeah, we got rid of Jeff Bezos, and, and like Amazon is fine now. <laughs> it mellowed. <laughs> we killed the CEO of Ecological Collapse. Mm-hmm. Good job, <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to add that when we say hero narratives are unproductive and useless, I don't. <laughs> mean that leaders don't exist like there have been several influential figures like you know in the history of like fighting for like liberation equality like you know Malcolm X you know Bhagat Singh etc 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 there's so many of them but yeah the the point is more that it can't be reduced to only those people and then you neglect the movements that were that they were a part of that they participated in right because it's not just smart guy with good idea appears and then fixes the problem it is much more complicated than that and it requires building of, con- of consciousness and it requires like creating movements exactly yeah and I think, and it's 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 interesting because I feel like 
I, like, mm, I won't say that. I, like, I, I was, yeah, I'm not gonna say that because that's that's a little too sweeping. But what I will say is, I I definitely think there's like, at the very least, like some sort of like correlation um, between like, uh, you know, groups um, that adore those particular kinds of narratives um in particular like battle shonen narratives um and the sort of like the sort of like um aversion to uh any sort of like radicalization or um you know like like there may be like a bunch of them and like there may be like a group of them and then like particularly like progressive and <clears throat> that's not said to say that like i would never work with like um uh you know folks who engage in like progressive politics or anything like that but it's more like it's more to say sort of like um that tends sort of to be the case um where you see sort of groups like that tend to sort of like hold a re- just like a weird kind of like hodgepodge of like um anything but like um folks that sort of like engage in like a collective radical politic i don't know it's 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 funny i don't know that that's just like a that's just my experience so i'm not gonna say that's like everyone sort of experiences with that but um i don't know i don't know what do y'all think about that uh i don't know i i i i think that's a really solid point um Uh, there's something to to okay let me back up I, I guess like the the uh, overall man I am like off to mark today wow <laughs> <laughs> you got that I'm sorry got okay this. um could you repeat the last thing that you were saying yeah just i i guess just like i think one thing i like i like i tend to notice is um and this is just in my experience like in particular like battle shonen like fan fan bases or like fandoms tend to sort of hold this kind of like hodgepodge of uh political um leanings and um affiliates or whatever where like you can right like you can have like um like okay like uh the one like the one piece um let's not say the one piece fandom but just like a one piece fandom right mm-hmm. like the the fandom that i was a part of like you could have folks who were like some uh you know a bunch of folks who would uh consider themselves to be um progressive and that was me until like i was like all right like this ain't this ain't working this ain't working um and like you know a bunch of folks that would consider themselves to be like uh progressive in their politic folks who would consider themselves to be liberal Folks who be con- who consider themselves to be centrist, um, libertarians, and then folks who were just like straight up conservative, right? Like they were just like, oh, you know, like just just scumbags. <laughs> Let's just right, like right. you know, right? And that was so interesting to me, right? Because but but it was just like, hey, we all like One Piece, so it's all good, and like and that's something that I like consistently see in in particular like battle shonen like fandoms, like this weird kind of aversion to like not 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 just talking about 
the issues because like the that the 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 group the groups that I was a part that I was a part of like that was something that happened but it never really went anywhere. It was like this like uh it was like this like circular uh it was like this circular dialectic that like it like which is just got contradictory because like that's not the point of a dialectic but right. it was just really weird right it was just really weird and and i would just constantly have headaches and i'll be i'll be talking to my partner and i'd be like i'm like babe like why am i so like why am i having these headaches and then and and she was like yo like you these, these people are pissing you off <laughs> you know yeah and it was really okay. just that yeah. simple okay um oh and i, th- I so, so... That's, yeah Okay, so I, I, I do remember the, the thing I was gonna say. All right, so it's All just right. um the the it, it's sort of understandable in the sense that like um obviously so on the one hand you can say like well like a fandom for like One Piece or like I guess like the the Jujutsu Kaisen fandom or whatever, like they're they're there to first and foremost appreciate Jujutsu Kaisen and not necessarily to talk about politics. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, like, not necessarily uh, that simple. Like, as a counterexample, um, I was, uh, I was like, one of my first, like, real, like, experiences with online fandom was, like, the Homestuck fandom, right? Mm. And that fandom was, like, primarily existed to like Homestuck. Um, but it was also pretty, like, especially, like, when it came to, like, LGBT issues, it was, like, pretty... Um, strictly positive in terms of those sorts of things like there was an understanding that you couldn't really like appreciate homestuck and be like homophobic right because you were like fundamentally misunderstanding some pretty important parts of the text if you held these two things like in common right right? and so it's like um like fandoms and uh the uh and the work that they're based around and the political leaning of those fandoms are like they're like related it's not like a one-to-one thing um but they are related um and so like the the other thing besides like the actual text that affects them is like who are like the big people in the fandom you know like Mm. is it like is it like because like a lot of like the the people that do like a lot of people that like cut their teeth on like homesuck video essays are like are like uh well they're they're mostly trans communists at this point <laughs> thinking about it i was like running down some names and they're like yeah trans com communists trans communists trans communists okay <laughs> right so like who are the people who are like um, but like if you if you look at a lot of like shonen pieces like it tends to be like a lot of dudes a lot of a lot of like the kind of lowest common denominator like white anime fan who's like mm-hmm. has incredibly questionable politics that they haven't bothered to like to to challenge um, and it's like a and to bring it back to hero narratives like it's like one of the reasons why it's like worth like taking like a meta look at like a whole genre of stories overall um because then it's like if you like hero stories you hang out with a lot of people who like hero stories that they're made they're like their ideas that end up in those fandoms and in those stories that that you end up picking up you end up using um in other places yeah 
Um, what I want to add to this conversation is I want to talk about a thesis I've been working towards for a while that um, I, mean, I have other higher priority things I need to write, so it'll be a while before I've published this as an essay. But the idea I'm working towards is that Discord servers are art, which is a clickbaity title way of saying spaces have ideologies. Mm. Um, which is, I think, critical in any analysis of like why are fandoms like this is, of course, because not just individual fans, but I don't want to say the fandom itself, because fandom is not a monolithic thing, but the space in which these fans congregate, in which they talk about things, has an ideology. And in the same way, like, big towns organizations like, you know, the DSA can get dominated by certain, like, ideologies, even if they say they're big tent. The same thing can be held of, like, different fandoms. Of, like, even if the fandom says, oh, well, we accept anyone of any politics, it's like, well, do you accept fascists? Because if you accept fascists, fundamentally you have created a space that is hostile to anti-fascists. It is right. hostile to the people fascists target. Mm-hmm. Or if you create a... Or if you say, oh, well, we let people just, you know spread liberal misinformation in our space because we don't want to be about that you know we just want to create a space for people to discuss insert topic or insert viewpoint without like you know making it explicit what our ideology of the space should be well then you've created a space that is hostile to anyone liberals are hostile towards because the space will be you know it'll allow for that uh, you, and so it's critical you're kind of cutting out again uh oh Oh, must be my Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> so I think that's just like that's a big part of like our understanding of like one. It's difficult to talk about the Jujutsu Kaisen fandom as a whole, but two, if we're talking about like the dominant Jujutsu mm-hmm. Kaisen fandom, like that section of the fandom probably exists in tandem with a lot of other Shonen Jump fans, and that means it exists in tandem with a lot of people who aren't ready to do political critique. And they see all political critique as equally problematic. And so when you have a space that's built upon that ideology, where those are the sort of conversations that are, like, allowed to happen, then you start to get, you know, the sort of behavior you described. Mm. That's, yeah. that's, that's the argument I would make. And as, as a sort of a follow-up, just, like, uh, this is another thing I've been thinking about for like all sorts of reasons of like how you enforce moderation, how you enforce who gets to talk, who is allowed in the space, who is given precedence, who gets challenged, who gets to speak more, who gets to speak less, like all of this. Um, and all of these are based off of sort of what is considered the assumed default. Um, you know, which ways of talking about anime are considered quote-unquote normal. And there is a way of talking about, like, one piece that is considered quote-unquote normal, and it's mm-hmm. not analyzing the political motivations of any villain. It's not calling out Echiro Oda for collaborating with pedophiles. That's mm-hmm. not considered normal. That's not the assumed default. It's funny, That's the, not how we do things. The, I, I will say the, the, fir- the, the former, like, the political stuff, it's... it's, it's, it's... It's funny, like, it's because I think you you will find videos that try to do that, but they just, they kind of just do, like, a, a terrible job at it because they're just not really, like, 
mm-hmm. reading. Like, they're not, like, it's like if they, you know, there was, like, one video um, that I watched that, like, uh, um, Ash, um, uh, uh, Ash and I, like, uh, uh, who's another, uh, um, you know, I would say former, I guess, One Piece YouTuber, but, like, um, you know, we just sort of, like, chuckled over because, like, this guy, you know, this guy was trying to talk about, oh, well, you know, this this part of the One Piece, you know, sort of um, narrative is, like, uh, Before you and arguing, you, you know, Ash, sorry. Which Ash? Which Ash? Um, there Ash, two uh, there, um... Or King no, Cocoa uh, Butter? King Cocoa Butter. King Cocoa Butter. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Carry on. Um... And like so, two you know, so and they're both cool. Yeah, they're great. They're they're, they're pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and and like, um, so King Coco Butter and I were just kind of like chuckling about it because it just, you know, it just very, it was just very clear that like, um, the person did sort of like a a, a wiki dive into like, you know, what is uh, you know, the far right and what is like the far left and what is like the center and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and it's like, yeah, you gotta don't really know what you're talking about, but okay. And it, and it's, and it's just, it was just this bizarre, like exercise, you know, where, and, and it's just this bizarre exercise. And I think you have a lot of that in these fandoms, especially like, especially with, uh, um, a story like One Piece, because One Piece is very political, right? Like, One Piece is always, is, is sort of, you know, um, oldest, um, uh, uh, through this, through the story, or just, like, the story itself, right? Like, the story is sort of, you know, purporting these ideas about, like, revolution and, um, uh, regimes and, like, you know, freedom and stuff like that. But, like, you know, I, I have my own critiques of that, but, like, the ways in which people talk about that story, like, it's just, like, a mess, like, to be quite frank. Um, and, and like, there's just like a difference of like someone who is like doing the reading, doing the research, you know, talking with folks about what they're reading and what they're seeing, and then sort of coming to like these, you know, sort of like conclusions, um, and then disseminating those conclusions in like a video, right? In like a video essay or whatever. And then someone who's like, all right, I got to do this video because I think it's going to get me a a good amount of views. And, you know, some like pseudo intellectuals would be really invested in that. So let me like check out the wiki for like uh, a cup a few days, put up my thoughts, and all right. And like if you just look at that video, like the number of comments who were just like, "Yo, you kind of don't know what you're talking about," or like, and like like people who like you could just tell are like leftists were just like, "Yo, like what is this?" <laughs> and so, <it's, laughs> and like that that's the thing that kind of just like makes me laugh. Where it's just like, "Yo, if you do shoddy work." Like, at the very least, leftists will, like, you know, like, be like, yo, this is shoddy work. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? You know? In so... the same way that you can tell Code Geass was written by someone who had never studied a single revolution in their entire life. I, you can see a lot of, like, quote-unquote political analysis videos that are clearly written by someone who has never studied politics in their goddamn life beyond maybe, like, a high school level. Yeah, right. <laughs> just like how are you, how the fuck are you talking about this without even like a basic material analysis? Come on. I was just gonna say, uh, <laughs> for a lot of times, I feel like the thing I want to say is like y'all need materialism. Mm-hmm. Just how well not anyone watching 
critical weep theory, of course. You <laughs> well, you do still need materialism, I mean, but it, it, presumably, it, counts as, it counts as reading theory. It has theory in the name. Well, I, not even that. I was just going to be like, if you're here, you clearly know you need to apply a material lens when I'm not analyzing media. So it's not like you mm-hmm. aren't aware. But for a lot of people, hmm. no, they, yeah. don't, they don't even know that this idea of a material lens exists, partially because it's not taught. And so they just, I see so much of people, even people who consider themselves, you know, progressive, or more often liberal, and they'll, like, work backwards from a conclusion without even, like, bothering to investigate the circumstances. They'll just be like, right. this is true, and because this is true, and I'm like, wait, 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 how do you know that's true? You didn't even, you didn't invest, you didn't interrogate that. How are you? Um, uh, so go back to, uh, I, guess, I guess, my favorite theorist, uh, Gayathri Spivak. Um, actually, I'm not going to do that because... It's bad to misquote anyone, but it's especially bad to misquote Spivak. So instead, I will frame this <laughs> in my own views. Uh, like, how the fuck are you going to, like, read Candace Subaltern speak and then Subaltern, the person who wrote that? Come on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is, so like, instead, the Academy, right? Like, <laughs> Instead, I will speak with my own voice of, like, it's important to understand which context in which information was created and then analyze that rigorously of, like, as we talk, we've talked about on the show with like the Thermian argument of like, you can't just assert that because the show says this, that means it's true in, uh, you know, I have in dipshit, uh, anime season two, uh, protagonist, protagonist guy says he's a socialist. Um, and because of that, we agree that we should support him. I'm like, wait, hold on. He's a Nazi. (laughs) Just take people's word for you need to analyze you need to analyze or like you know in um dipshit anime season two uh our um the the president of dipshitia uh, joseph biding like he said he couldn't do anything and that's really sad it shows how hopeless the situation i'm like wait no hold on can he do something <laughs> we <laughs> think about to materially analyze what are the <laughs> things that he could do <laughs> Is it true that, wait, didn't we learn in season one that this person, Joseph Biden, is citing as the reason he can't pass the Minimum Wage Act is just a non-binding, you know, a non-binding recommendation they can easily ignore and work around if they wanted to? Didn't we learn before that, like, constantly fighting for re-election leads to situations where people always say that, well... We can't do it because we're worried about being elected. But if you elect us again, maybe we'll do it next time. Did we not, like, have this conversation in season one? Why are we still having it in season two? <laughs> I'm venting my frustrations. I apologize. Good. I mean, like, gotta... I have so many... I have so many frustrations about, like... Most of, like, the sort of, like, particularly popular uh, battle show and stuff. One piece in particular, like, I... That was sort of my thing, like in like yeah. that in that community, like I would just go off, um, and folks would be like, "Oh, there goes BMC again, doing his uh, woke thing," and that was like, and that was like to them, like that was like me, like like that's what I was doing, right? Um, Long, but like exasperated <laughs> sigh. Yeah, and th- 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 there's one thing I kind of wanted to just like sort of uh, pop up in. 
And it kind of, I guess it sort of like relates to that. Like, um, uh, so how familiar are are you both with uh, with like with like with like One Piece and it, it, like if I spoil so, something, would that be like? <laughs> nah. No, you, no. I, I, <laughs> and I feel I totally feel you about that. Like, yeah, like it, it, it's a frustrating story. Um, and there's the, the, so there's one point where. Where, where I like, I think my sort of like shift, like I just kind of noticed like my own shift um, in terms of like my um, like my politics, like the the more that shift would occur and the more I would read and the more that I would talk with folks and like be, be in community with folks um, um, like you both, like the more the story just seemed really just like absurd in certain ways in like what it was trying to sort of sort of spoon feed you. So there's a so there's a moment in the in the story where a um so like Marines are like the bad guys but you're not sure they're the bad guys because you know whatever relative morality whatever and right. so like but they're like scum they're like they're like cops they're they're, they're cops they're the government they, they they suck um but like so there's this character Garp um and anyone who's you know read One Piece seen One Piece watched it like you know it's caught up knows who Garp is um and so Garp is sort of dealing with this issue where he right like there's a war going on right there's like this massive war in, 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 in the story um and one of his um sort of like adopted sort of like grandchildren they're held captive right like by the government and like they're 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 going to be executed um so he's going to be executed so his, his grandson's going to be executed um, um, and who is adopted grandson is going to be executed. And like, there's like, and he is like literally like stands, like sitting next to his adopted grandson as he's about to be executed. Right. Like his, because his, um, cause Ace is a pirate and he's a Marine. And it's like, it's supposed to be this, like this really intense, like, oh man, what is Garp supposed to do? And it's like, to like anybody that like has like a soul, it's like, yo, you're supposed to save your fucking grandson. <laughs> like save your fucking grandson you know what I mean like that's what you're supposed yeah. to do and like the story is like oh but his duty to his duty to the you know um to the marines is like conflicting blah 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 um and I won't go any further but like what happens is not right it's like he does it right and and then like after the fact like in the same war he's like oh now I'm gonna go after the person who like ended his life and like and 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 the 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 audience is gonna you know readers are gonna root for me now because now I'm I'm in action and I'm trying to like you know I'm like dude like he's dead like you sat you sat next to him on the execution platform like in your cop getup right Garp the hero that's what they call him and like after the fact like, you'll be like all right time to move. Like what? No. Like and and what's really interesting is that the fandom is so sort of divided in this really bizarre way, right? Where like there are people like, but you have to understand, Garb was we conflicted. Need... You gotta understand. No. I'm like no 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 no. <laughs> like no. Like we just this is not like and it, it's just a really like ridiculous conversation that happens, and that's kind of like you know, in a nutshell, just, like, the ridiculousness that is sort of what One Piece is trying to, like, spoon-feed you and, like, you know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. That's all I'll say about that. 
Yeah. Um, to digress briefly, I feel like we've been digressing a lot. Not that that's a bad thing. Not that it matters even. But to digress a, bit, a step further, one of the, I think, most resonant lines I ever heard was the, the secret about morality is that it's in fact very simple. A lot of the complexity comes from justifications for atrocity. Mm. Right? Like, you know, everyone should be fed. Don't hurt each other. Don't be racist. Like, all very simple things. The complex bits of morality are when, you know, the ruling class has to justify why people are homeless while Jeff Bezos has billions of dollars. That's when morality gets complicated, because you have to all of a sudden add in all of these complex justifications to rationalize the cruelty, to rationalize why everything sucks so much. Um, and I just think about that in regards to what you just said of like, it's very simple what the moral thing to do would have been of just like, you save your grandson. It's not that hard. But, eh, but like, there's a lot of work that needs to go into like, a lot of like complicated, ex often I would art go so far as to say overcomplicated reasoning that goes into like, explaining away the contradiction of like, you know, untying the mental knot of why it was okay for him to not save his grandson because i think a lot of people will instinctively read that and like in there they'll they'll get it it's not that hard it's not that comp just do what's good for people yeah yeah uh i think we should probably um reintroduce uh, the things you're working on at BMC and then uh, maybe it for this segment or um, well let's real quick is there anything else we have to say do we feel like we explored it um I would say <laughs> I say I guess two things like um mm -hmm. one uh Please, if you if you are a white leftist and you are what you know or, you know listening to this or uh, watching this or you know taking in this uh, episode, please just like read some like black like scholarship by like black like radical scholars. Like just just do that for me. Just like pick up one book. Like you know, <laughs> pick up Sadia Hartman. Pick mm. up uh, Fred Moten. Pick up. Uh, you know, Sylvia Winter. Pick you know up. a classic who's like easy to read. No, <laughs> no. Uh, du Bois. Du Bois. <laughs> no, like, no, but like unironic. Like, like people, yo, for real, yeah. Because he's like a he's like a like a middle school history figure, but like nobody tells you that he was like a communist who like really believed mm. in the Soviet Union as like um, like a future model for like black people uh, in like society, uh -huh. right? So like. Uh -huh. Um, and we also don't talk about his like economic analysis, washing of historical figures. Like, I, like read, read mm. Du Bois as well, as well as the other Facts. names that BMC mentioned. Facts, you know, just like do that, please. Mm -hmm. I, I beg. Um, well, I'm not gonna beg. Let me let me let me retract that. I'm not doing that. I'm not begging white folks to do that. But <laughs> but um, just you know, just do that. Do that. Um, and. I guess like you just kind of want me to talk about like, like my stuff like, uh, like the channel and other things. I guess. Yeah. Um. 
Uh, I so I mean a few things. I have a so I have a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. which I've been on hiatus from for a few months. Um, I'll say since December, roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I'm gonna be getting back into that in April. Um, so look out for that. You can just type in you know Black Manga Critic, and my channel will pop up. I mean, um, it'll be linked. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you, thank you, thank you. Um, and also, um, I have a Patreon that I'm gonna get also get back to in April. Um, I'm gonna I, like I'm gonna finally get to that like One Piece and racism video because like I have to like I gotta do Woo. that because people people get on my nerves. Um, uh, yeah. In terms of that discourse, that discourse is a mess. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that, and um, there's also a. Uh, reading group, um, a critical like text, like critical theory, radical theory, um, uh, reading group that uh, all three of us are a part of. Um, mm. So if that is something that you would like to be uh, a part of, feel free to like contact any of us. Um, uh, we're always open for like you know more people, more collective action, more more like collective learning you know what i mean so um let us know and i think oh and i'm on twitter i'm on twitter a decent amount (laughs) um that's probably like my main social media like you know kind of like twitter instagram that sort of thing like i'm usually on twitter um so you can follow me at the manga scholar um and yeah yeah i do a lot of like you know ranting so ranting about like capitalism so, and white people, They're so, good rants. you know. <laughs> <laughs> they are good rants. Yeah. They are. So, they are. It's, yeah. um, well, I would advise anyone who listens to Critical Weep Theory follow um, everyone who has come on, but especially BNC, I think. Uh, if for no reason other than the very minimal uh, great book recommendations in the Twitter handle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's just um, fun, like that's just fun to do. Like, um and 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 every every book that I recommend I'm just like like I've like and I say this like as someone who often like will like start a book and then not finish it, like um I've re- like every book that I recommend at the very least in my title, like I have I am either in the process of reading if it's still in the title um, and if there's like a shift, then it means that I've finished like reading that book. So definitely, I, I should make like a running list of the stuff that I put in the title um, at some point, um, and then just like put it in like a Twitter thread or something. But that's something that we can do as a group, you know, like in like books that we read and like share, share text and yeah. stuff like that. That's something that we also do. So you know, if you have like suggestions and stuff like that um, that you feel like. Um, you'd like to read as a group um, at some point. Um, you know, we all, like, just kind of talk about it together and figure out, like, one of the best times to do that. And, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess uh, that being said, for this segment, this has been Mo Black. My pronouns are he, him, and... Uh, um, BMC. You just call me BMC. Um, he, him pronouns. Um, yeah. Well, wasn't that something? 
Up next, we have our guest Neil Caput talking more about heroes. There are some pretty heavy spoilers to My Hero Academia, but no real content warnings this time. So I hope you enjoy. This was a fun conversation. Hi, I'm Neil Caput. My pronouns are he and him. I am what they call a content creator, specifically web comics, also done essays in the dark days of blogs. And one of the things I did a lot of essays on was superheroes, or as they shall now be known, freedom manga. Freedom manga. Right? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yes. Yeah, it is um, great to finally um, talk to you. Um, how do I say this without being corny? Uh, I really appreciate you because you're like the first person who ever sent me fan art of a thing. Aww. And it's still my phone background. Oh. So. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, Neil is Makes one sense. of my favorite people. Uh, one happy. time Dear. he made a joke about being an anarcho rukaist and I still think about that day. <laughs> it's perhaps, it's perhaps <laughs> the funniest thing, the funniest singular thing I've ever seen. I don't, I don't know if you want to rehash that. Just like. I think it was when uh, I made the offhand comment about that shitty red to girl friend anime when they're going on about how a rental girlfriend may not be able to heal people, but we can bandage it. And mm-hmm. that was, I was thinking like, <laughs> so That's, Joe Biden so painful. rental girlfriend and like he follows up after America has just had a disastrous thing with a evil blonde and proceeds to try to keep up the illusion of being happy and stable while not really doing much to actually and then somehow I got to the idea that like Ruka, who actually wanted to be Kazuya's girlfriend, was the Bernie Sanders in this case. And yes, yes, um, it is unbelievably cursed that that the analogy tracks so well, and I hate it. <laughs> but thank um, you. Neil Neil Caput, everyone, uh, brilliant humorist. Uh, you should check out his webcomic. Wait, didn't you just release um, one of your comics for sale? We can talk about it towards the end as well. Uh, yeah, the link will be in the show notes. It's Minnie and Max Monster Girl Detectives, a graphic novel I did during quarantine when I wanted something lighter and fun. So urban fantasy about uh, two girls who've been turned into monsters, monster girls, if you will, trying to get their bodies back and solving mysteries along the way. And I have something coming up. We are the Wirecats, a reboot of an old comic I did, which is basically teen genius heroes versus capitalism. Woo! Yeah. Um, uh, I've said this before, and I will say it again. If you don't buy his stuff, I will know, and I personally will be incredibly disappointed in you. 
I just want you to know that I'm nebulous listener, okay? Unless you are Neil, I guess, in which case it's a moot point. But if you're anyone else, if you're anyone else. All right. One of the things that uh, Neil does, if you haven't heard, is write stories about heroes, which I don't know if you know this or not, but if you write about heroes, you probably have strong opinions on heroes. Is this is this fair? Um, it's a little circular, but it checks Perhaps. out. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, and another thing uh, Neil has the honor of doing is introducing me to the end of history theory, which I was until then blissfully unaware of. Um, and I feel like that's as good a place to start as any. So what what is this theory? Uh, why did people think history had ended? What's going on here? So it was at the end of the Cold War when capitalism had won against communism and there was a sense that following the collapse of the Berlin Wall, this was going to be the new world order, that the American model of uh, liberal democracy based on markets would be applied across the world, and that would be the perfect setup for everything. And we'd just be able to let the market and the political process work out any issues we had from then on. The term was coined by... I think he was an economic advisor for Reagan, Francis Fukuyama, who he later admitted that he was being a little dramatic by calling it the end of history. But like the the basic point that like liberal democracy has basically won and like history from now until the end of time is just convincing other people um, with guns uh, to do liberal democracy. I think... Not to be a Holly hindsight here, but I think you can just point to outside your window and say that things didn't work out very well. <laughs> it just immediately started to cla- imagine claiming that um, you're you're at the end of history, and then like having nine eleven happen like a year later. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine claiming that you're at the end of history, um, then failing to consider that, hey, maybe maybe this sucks. Maybe it sucks that people are still starving. I hope this isn't it. Um, as we all know, the true end of history was going to come in 2030 with the ecological collapse of the planet accelerated by people sending, selling fancy art on the stock market. Really? I mean... I thought history ended in 2015 with Metal Gear Solid Five and Kojima leaving Konami. Ah, oh, that's true. That's, that's... But I guess the stuff about ecological collapse and rising fascism and vastly increased inequality across the globe all tracks too. Yeah. Uh, so we've brought up what end of history theory is. I think if you're listening to Critical Weeb Theory, I guess you probably understand why that's a bullshit claim but we should take a moment to at least deconstruct it a little and like put the like logical gears on like why that as a theory doesn't really make sense my argument is that human modes of production have never stopped changing they've never stopped innovating everything would have had to remain entirely stagnant uh, in order for any semblance of end of history theory to be sensible 
That's true. And it's already the state the world was at, even domestically in the United States, was very far from ideal when the Cold War ended. Maybe there was peace in the sense that we weren't engaged in any major wars and there wasn't a worry about nuclear war. And we did immediately start bombing Yugoslavia. Oh, uh, that right, yeah. But that was more like an independent war project, like one of their smaller things subsidized by the larger military. Yeah. There was no like large existential geopolitical threat. There was no Nazi Germany. There was no USSR. There was no um, the world is going to end because some guy in Russia pressed a button and then a nuke went off in, yeah. in D.C. or whatever. Right. Like that sort of crisis. Uh ceased to exist of course we were still in the world that was made out of that crisis and everything the united states and its allies did in that war like i'm no tanky i'm going to go take a big risk of being canceled and say that i do not stand joseph stalin joseph stalin is not my pog champ he is cringe not not your little pog champ yet but pretty much everything that communism did is blamed for by the usual reactionary talking points. The U.S. has done that or worse just in a large, longer span of time because they didn't have to rapidly industrialize to be able to defend themselves. Right. And you can easily just point to, say, what, Reagan, who presided over the end of history, did in Central America as evidence that we are kind of the baddies. We're fine breaking our moral superiority as long as we get a proxy army to do that. And how there's a direct line from that to what happened at the beginning of the year with the attempted coup. Mm -hmm. Like... Of course, Trump, who came out of that era of 80s, that was when he made his big debut in the public consciousness, all but ordered the various right-wing dipshits to try and coup the Capitol, which is very much like what we've done overseas with stuff like the School of the Americas, just that there it was lethally trained assassins doing the bidding of our interests often at the expense of democracies and human lives and here it was just a bunch of suburban assholes who watched too many prager U videos and wanted to larp as revolutionaries and it's only a stroke of luck that it wasn't a lot worse so we have i think set the historical stage um how are, uh, how how is this idea of like the end of history? Yeah, or just more specifically, how's the idea, um, the false idea that we've reached the end of history, um, idea that we've reached the end of history under liberal capitalism, related to how we tell stories about uh, superheroes? And is it possible that America's global hegemony influenced art globally and the way we think and conceptualize what is good and bad? This is news to me. I've never done a critical analysis before. You're inserting politics into the animes? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, now I'm going to politics your heroes and their academia. A lot of the problems you can read into superhero stories, be they in 
Freedom Manga or Freedom OVAs is that it's not like the overtly fascist jingoism. You don't see most superhero comics like going out of their way to promote the hero as waving around might to make right and taking pleasure in hurting people. Because like reactionary culture can best be exemplified in the muscular, sexy Donald Trump cartoons Ben Garrison does. And there's just nothing there. And it's not what's most of successful media because reactionaries just aren't creative. They can't, they don't have the kind of empathy that one would need for imagination. So all they can do is just like that kind of transparent power fantasy. But in something that is successful, that a lot of people do love and watch, like say the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are these kinds of unfortunate implications. And they usually stem from just the idea that the status quo just is. Like the way things are in America, this kind of democracy, air quotes, that we have, it it may not be perfect, but it's the best there's going to be. So what are you going to do? So invariably, when they do bring up political stuff in Marvel movies. It's always going to be the bad guy who's a threat to the status quo. And it's going to be something like in Black Panther, where Killmonger has all the right opinions about how terrible colonialism is and how bad Wakanda was for basically just living in their gated city while the rest of Africa was terrorized. Right. But he's also a dangerously unhinged nutcase who wants to kill a bunch of white people. And at least in that movie, it does end with the Black Panther realizing maybe having my nation as a gated community was not the best, most responsible use of my power. But the fact still remains what people take away from it is that the radical character is the bad guy. I think it's important to keep in mind, especially when you're talking about the MCU, is that, like, the Department of Defense <laughs> and the CIA, they, like, they literally, like, r- change scripts in Hollywood. The extent to which the U.S. government has control over popular media in terms of, like, how it is presented in stories mm-hmm. um, is a lot more than I think people realize. Um, we get made fun of a lot for saying, like, oh, you think everything is propaganda? Don't you think cat stuff just exists? But it's like, well, when the U.S. government actively pushes messages in all of the biggest blockbuster movies ever made, like that come out of this country, then yeah, it it is appropriate to talk about uh, the propaganda that comes out of it. Yeah, and I don't even think a lot of it's conscious because that's what the writers grow up with they grow up with these understandings of the world around them from the media they consumed and the culture they grew up in and they do it without even thinking and i should actually say i really liked the black panther movie and it's not even the most egregious example of this and this is getting closer to the big anime that i'm here to cancel (gasps) You're here to cancel anime? Guilty as charged. (laughs) So, how many people here do you think are familiar with My Hero Academia? Like, it's really big in terms of cultural impact as far as exported anime goes. So, the other segment in this episode 
did also talk about My Hero Academia. You're, you're good. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Very briefly in the context of, like, other hero stories. I think most people who listen to it would be familiar, but it's always good to have a brief refresher of what My Hero Academia is and what it's about. So... My Hero Academia is the most reverse weeaboo of shows in that it's an anime that is very much inspired by American superheroes. And it takes place in a world where like 80% of the population has superpowers or quirks as they call them. And it opens on the ominous narration, all men are not created equal. And it introduces us to a boy named Midoriya who doesn't have a quirk. And he's grown up to the age of 14 when we're introduced to him. being a second class citizen. Like he doesn't have any friends. He's treated like crap. The closest relationships he has are to... The bully that's constantly attacking him every day. And to his mother, who loves him unconditionally, but she treats him with more pity for what he's lost than faith that he can do something great. It continues, his life continues like this until one day when he has a chance encounter with All Might, who's the biggest hero in the world. He's called the symbol of peace because his very presence is a deterrent to crime because he's so powerful and awesome. Well, both of that, but like his his like moral core is also incredibly obvious, right? He he's Superman, basically. Oh yeah, he's Superman. He's even blonde, unlike Superman. He's got the red, white, and blue elements in his costuming. Didn't he like develop his powers in the United States with a dude literally named Dave? Yes, he. <laughs> He got his training overseas. He is technically a Japanese man, but he is the peak reverse weeaboo. And what Midoriya finds out is that he's actually in very poor health. And he's been pretending to still be the symbol of peace, but he can only use his powers for a few hours a day. He's actually... His real form is not um, the super muscle man, but there's like this withering blood spewing husk of a man. And he's been trying his best to keep up appearances. But when All Might happens to witness Midoriya rushing in when he can't to save someone, he knows it's time to retire and time to transfer his power to Midoriya because All Might has this quirk called one for all which is like i guess the name suggests that it's something shared but there isn't any solidarity or camaraderie here it's more like a monarchy and that's the setup that midoriya gets to be the next heir to this power he's given a scholarship enrollment to this ua high which is this super prestigious rich hero school and from there, it's about him being trained as the new hero of the world, the symbol of peace. There are a lot of other heroes in this world, and the world building, whether through deliberate reaction against progress or just, as I mentioned before, unconsciously repeating what's been in all the other superhero stories, doesn't show anyone questioning things in a good light. That's actually a really solid um, and helpful recap, I think. Well, it's based a lot on Mo's article for Annie Femme about My Hero Academia. That was one of the things that I came across that got 
me following your work and it... wow, this article is really doing work today <laughs> yeah um do you want to real quick recap that article for the people who have not heard of it or like it's horizontal pieces okay yeah sure um but basically i looked at um one of the villains uh, in my hero academia uh, magna uh who's uh trans um and i basically kind of i tried to tease out how the show treats her who's like a trans villain with um a trans man called tiger who's like a hero um, and I tried to figure out um, what the show has to say about heroism um, and how that relates to like uh, being uh, marginalized, in this case, um, being trans. Um, and the conclusion I essentially came to um, was that the show essentially sees, uh, My Hero Academia essentially sees heroism as like people who defend um, the status quo, which is represented by All Might. Um, and villainy um, is essentially by people who are essentially bad and who try to change the world for the better in implicit and i want to real quick note that implicit in that idea is the idea that uh like we mentioned earlier with francis Fukuyama's ends of history that this world is fundamentally good and any changes that need to be made to it are reformist and not revolutionary in nature exactly that that's a really good point um so uh I'll go into this a little bit more. Um, essentially, Magna in the story doesn't really do anything wrong. She's she's a part of a terrorist organization, essentially because she needs help, like, transitioning and, like, being accepted for who she is. And this terrorist group is, like, the only group that she could find, like, that will accept her. And then so she commits crimes for this. Um, to, to, to create a world in which she can actually be herself. And um, the story says this is a bad thing because she's changing the status quo, which is essentially good. It essentially like looks down on someone who's like engaged in what is essentially like revolutionary action to improve their uh, material conditions um, because that's a crime and crime is bad. And then right next to her, it has like Tiger who's like a rich capitalist who can afford to go to like Thailand to get like a sex realignment surgery. Um, and, and who also has a quirk that physically changes his appearance to look more like what society would expect, um, like a man to look like. And so he's accepted because he doesn't have to commit crimes basically to fit in. But Tiger is told that she's a villain because she has no other choice but to commit crime. It's, it's a whole thing. You can, you can do it. I, I, I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, and it highlights that like the opportunities presented to people are not distributed fairly right. at all. And Midoriya basically got the golden ticket. He's in the chocolate factory, by which I mean the fancy private school. And he's on the fast track to be trained to be the the world's greatest hero and while you can say yeah he deserves it he's a nice guy he's kind and brave but the ultimately there's so much there's so many other people who who deserve like not even to become heroes but just to have decent dignified lives and they don't get that and Midoriya of all people should understand that because he is 
a second-class citizen. He may come from a fairly economically cushy life. He never appeared to have any problems with money because his conveniently off-screen overseas dad sends him and his mother enough to survive on comfortably. But he's still constantly been driven home this idea that he has no power, he cannot get power, and thus he's useless. He doesn't have any inherent wealth beyond what he can prove to society. And that made me interested in the show, and it's what made me fall out of love with the show as it became clear nothing was going to be done with that. To use some of my own life experience and thus confirming that I do have a life outside of anime. Shocker. I mean, I grew up on the autism spectrum undiagnosed. I had economically successful parents who were very loving and supportive. I, It was still a very largely lonely and unpleasant childhood when I left home, I didn't get along well with other kids. I was harassed a lot. And and this is me talking about that experience from the perspective of someone who lived in the suburbs of Santa Barbara, which is definitely a very well-off part of California. And later, I would end up, do a year as a special education teacher in South Los Angeles around Gardena and see for myself a bunch kids who in addition to having the kind of developmental disability and emotional trauma the added burdens and traumas of not being white in a society that's based on white supremacy not having economic security some of the kids were even homeless not having opportunities before them to make something of the themselves and having this incredible just absolutely terrible set of circumstances thrust upon them and I carry with it if it on a daily basis that I couldn't do much for them I I didn't expect that I'd be a savior that would be way too presumptuous of me and even I wasn't that naive back then but there it just like there's so many structural impediments for kids who can they all had talents they all had redeeming qualities they they all could have contributed something to society i don't and i don't mean to say that like they won't go on to do anything i, I mean the i can't don't know where the kids are now what I do know is just that the fact that anyone would have to grow grow up in such poverty with so little resources in a charter school that is literally bungalows on the parking lot of a more affluent school and to have a curriculum that is special education is already like something that under capitalist logic indicates that the students don't have value, that they're put there to get out of the hair of the regular teachers. And if they work hard enough to maybe be back in the regular classes, 
I knew some kids who were very much aware of that fact and they felt terrible about it and worthless and stupid. I think a thing we should look at in our analysis is this idea of, um, a thing we should look at in our analysis is this idea of the system is fine. It's just that Deku was assigned to the wrong social standing and this can be fixed by giving him the correct social standing of he deserves to have power and now he has the power he should have had the whole time rather than allowing him to remain powerless and succeed in spite of that and like validating that as an option it instead sees that as a problem to be fixed it also reinforces this myth of a meritocracy where you know, the most noble and the most just people are the ones who end up getting the power in the end and not like complete assholes. Yeah, as long as you dangle the possibility of upward mobility, you don't have to care about the probability of it. Just the whole idea of that, like, um, that Hiroaka kind of pushes in which it's sort of enough to find the one nice guy to give all the opportunity to since... The society is clearly and obviously working, he said, ignoring all the people for which it's not working. It, it like it does jack all um, to all the people, um, to, both to yourself and all the people you're like interaction. Yeah. Oh, God, that that doesn't even bring up the stuff with Endeavor, the point where I just basically said, fuck this and gave up on watching it. The guy just does eugenics. Yeah, this is, I think this needs to be brought up. It was brought up in Mo's article. And I haven't read far enough in the manga, so I'm sure there will be complaints that I haven't read every single part and double-checked it with the wiki across all the spinoffs, so therefore my opinion isn't valid. So one of the professional heroes in the world is this guy named Endeavor. He's, He's this big guy with fire powers his if nothing else my hero academia has really impressive character designs and when we're reduced to to endeavor it's because his son is one of midoriya's classmates and endeavor is a really abusive piece of shit he's it's early on it's implied that he basically forced his wife to marry him and bear his child because of genetically superiority and that child is has been abused to be molded into the ideal son to carry on his legacy and early on it does seem like this is going to this is a problem this is a problem with the hero world that we can have a man like this be rich and famous while being so abusive to his family as the show goes on Endeavor is the number two hero after All Might. Eventually, All Might's powers finally burn out in a big public battle with his arch nemesis. And by default, Endeavor becomes the new number one hero. And as expected, he doesn't have the kind of hero charisma that All Might has. Most people don't, in fact, like him. The only respect he gets is people who are afraid of him. And you'd think that this would be a good time to start showing consequences to Endeavor's actions and not give him a redemption arc. You might also think that as part of that redemption arc, you wouldn't try to give him flashbacks to show his own tragic past and to show that what he did wasn't really as bad, that he did really love his wife after all. 
you would think that, but you'd be wrong. And then you'd end up seeing Midoriya ending up going to Endeavor for guidance as kind of an additional mentor figure with Endeavor's son starting to forgive him, albeit with, with reservations. And this definitely drives home the idea that the opportunities presented by society are not equal and the best people are not the ones on top. And it does so in a particularly insidious way by giving a person who is just terrible. He's worse than most of the villains. I think that was an impression most of us got watching it. To give him the chance to redeem himself. Just as like an addendum of that, like that's not a courtesy that's extended to any of the villains. Villains don't get redemption arcs even if what they have done is considerably less harmful than what um endeavor has done and it's the same idea of like people will be talking on and on about how we should forget forgive like insert powerful political figure for atrocities they have committed in the past as though that is like the be all end all and like that same courtesy won't be extended to like people of color who are in jail for like just drug possession yeah as as wholesome as All Might is, at the end of the day, he was still a cop. He was mm-hmm. still there to dissuade any kind of violence, and not. And by violence, that also means protest. But he's on the he's on like the correct side of the status quo, right? And so he gets the redemption arc because he defends what the system that All Might. Um, created and protected well the main villain shigaraki explicitly grew up in an abusive household he spent time on the streets he was taken in by all all might's arch nemesis all for one and when all might actually shows sympathy for shigaraki it's only because he learned that Shigaraki is All Might's mentor's grandson. And even then, like, while he's dismayed that someone who was close to him had a child who became this, he quickly gets over it when he realizes that, but he's bad now, so we don't forgive anything and we're, we're just going back to staying the course. And we know it's not just petty crime, but like, yeah, it's it's like protests to secure better conditions. And we know this is true because we see characters like Magnet. And Magnet's not the only one. They're also like, um, there's uh, Twice is the other one um, that I think I mentioned. There are other villains like that who are villains because society has failed them. And it is the hero's job to suppress them one day, like, revolt. Igaraki doesn't even really have an ideology he espouses. He just wants to take everything down. and. Yes, there is a lot bad to be taken down, but the story was constructed so that the character who's fighting the status quo hardest is the psychopathic man-child with the severed hand for a mask. Um, you mentioned Shigaraki at the beginning. Um, like He eventually forms like a paranormal liberation front with like a bunch of other forces. It's like a bastardization of what <laughs> liberation fronts do in real life, um, which is... Um, a theme that I've noticed. We brought up Code Geass last time. We'll do it again. <laughs> but if you have a... Like, his ideology is not really... Yeah. But he's a straw man for what people think communists are like. Yeah. Th- that's actually, um, I think, a really interesting point. Um, because 
I, I've seen like people who try to now who try to analyze My Hero Academia, and they try to analyze like what Shigaraki's um, ideology is, and they say, well, Shigaraki isn't really a communist, and in truth, he's not, right? Because he's he's he doesn't really have like um, he's not really fighting for equality. He's just kind of fighting for like a vague anti-establishment kind of push. Yeah, he's what right-wingers think leftists are. So he is a communist. He's just, like, not... Um, it, it's it's kind of... It's it's a nuanced point that, like, a, a lot, a lot, a lot of people miss. I wanted to tie this back with what you were just saying, Neil. But I don't think I can right now. So please, please continue. One thing I th- felt was important while I'm still here is to say that just like how our society doesn't have to be at best a stable illusion of a meritocracy with vast inequality that's merely kept in check by the threat of force. We can be better. We can demand better. We can make sure that kids don't have to live in poverty and don't have to grow up feeling terrible about themselves just for the way they were born. And for our stories, the media we consume... We can get better than just having these issues only come around as a little bit of flavor text to ultimately be dismissed. Like My Hero Academia takes the the kind of Ubisoft approach to politics where it's brought up only insofar as it's something to make the bad guy seem like he's ripped from the headlines and then get dismissed as the hero dispatches the bad guy. But superheroes don't have to be that. The origins of the genre even aren't that like superman was created by jewish immigrants and his earth he was created in the depression his earliest comics had him fighting the kinds of robber barons who were profiting off of human misery captain america another good example created by jewish immigrants went to war with hitler before his own country did and it even like some of the marvel characters who are now become so popular in this century like they started out as the counterculture and while you can point to something like x-men and point out the many problems with the way it kind of does this civil rights metaphor through characters who are mostly pretty white people it did it at its best point out things like how hatred is not only irrational but the people who perpetuate it often financially lucrative for them like there is no reason for us to hate each other we should have solidarity against the people who are trying to make us hate each other because there's money in it like we don't have to listen to the reverend strikers who have this big televangelist platform on hating mutants in the other segment we kind of mentioned uh we talked kind of more meta on like hero kind of hero narratives and like what they're good at and what they're not good at and and i i think definitely like there is something to be said of like reducing problems to like individuals that's try to like solve systemic issues that something that hero Aka does a lot but the 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 whole thing about like superheroes in general not like hero narratives but like superheroes can and has actually absolutely like talk about what needs to change societally for the world to get better like what movements need to happen to bring us to a place where we're actually like closer to a world where you describe where we actually have solidarity we base our transact we base our interactions on mutual aid 
we try and progress instead of the opposite of that, instead of stagnating or regressing into some like mythologized past. Yeah. What I'm hoping with My Hero Academia, probably irrationally, but I would like to see Midoriya become the kind of hero who has ambitions beyond his mentor, who wants to see a, a better world, who will who will go against people who are powerful and use that to avoid consequences. Like the world of heroes is incredibly bureaucratized in My Hero Academia. And the heroes themselves range from being decent civil servants to publicity hungry divas without any real care about actually saving people to abusive pieces of shit like Endeavor. And if Midoriya were to take a stand like four people like Magna, who are victims of circumstance, and instead of just flailing in reaction to whatever incidents pop up, he would certainly have a lot more enemies than he does now. And it'd definitely escalate the drama. He might even have to go against All Might. And that'd be a very dramatic scene because it'd be hard for Midoriya to do this while All Might is completely out of power, stuck in his withered true form, has like however long he's got left to live after basically losing his lungs and stomach years ago, and feeling he has to kick his mentor down in order to stand up for what he believes in, and how he might think that he's disgracing the legacy of One for All, but if he has to do that in order to fight for someone who's not an obviously innocent bystander, a child who needs to be rescued from a monster, then that's going to take the series into the kind of place that I honestly think it could go because I was really enjoying it. I thought they did really well with the kind of emotional beats you get from a shonen manga and the kind of struggle through grit teeth and tremendous pain to fight for what's right. But to do that for a much larger right than simply preserving what is. Very, very excellent analysis. Good job. Um, thanks, Neil. Um, so, real quick, uh, remind everyone who you are and what your deal is and the cool things you are doing. Neil Caput, he, him, web cartoonist author of Minnie and Max Monster Girl Detectives and the upcoming We Are the Wirecats. And you can check out my Patreon where I'm put, putting up early content for Wirecats before it's May launch, including concept art and early comics. Value extraction, go. Um, they'll all be in, in the places. There's no need to worry about that. As usual, I'm, I don't know why I say as usual. Well, I guess there are times when I, when I am not Movlad. But in this instance, I am indeed Movlad. Pronouns are he, him. I'm Ragnarok. Pronouns anything other than he or she. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for having me. It was great.